evolution is a constrained process. For the most part, it only uses materials already in hand, as opposed to making new ones. This can be seen, for example, in birds. Instead of growing another set of limbs to create wings, their arms have turned into wings. The bird's wing is homologous to our arm, so knowing this, how and why is your middle ear homologous to a reptile's jaw? Welcome to Podcast Wild. I'm your host, MK, where we'll be covering just about anything to do with outdoor sciences. Today's episode is Episode 7, Hear No Evil, Speak No Evil. It covers the formation of two of the three small bones found in the inner ear. This is also one of those mammalian-defining criteria covered in Episode 3B, Making of a Mammal. For today's episode, we'll be traveling back in time again back to the end of the Permian around to 175 million years ago, before the reign of the dinosaurs. We'll be back again with the plecosaurs, like that sailback dimetrodon, and early synapsids, mammal-like reptiles. Like all the other terrestrial vertebrates, they only had one bone in the middle ear, the stapes, the one that's shaped like a stirrup. Their jaw was made up of multiple bones, unlike our single dentary bone, or lower jaw. The jaw muscle configuration was also different. If one added up all the angles of force put in on this ancestral jaw when biting, they would come away with force and stress on the jaw joint. This meant that where the lower jaw and the rest of the skull hinged, it needed to be strong, bulky, and robust to take that pressure and stress. The two bones at the hinge were the articular, on the lower jaw, and the quadrate on the skull. Because of their size and bulkiness, they weren't as good at transmitting sound. Nevertheless, it is believed that these early mammalian ancestors still transmitted sound through them. The theory is that they would lay their jaw on the ground. Vibrations in the earth from, say, running prey would transmit from the ground to the dentary, which is the lower part of the jaw containing the teeth, then to the articular bone, through the jaw joint, to the quadrate, and then to the stapes, finally ending up in the inner ear where the sound waves would be translated and sent to the brain. So the ancestral bulky jaw and our ears were constrained to remain the same until the appearance of the masseter in late therapsids, around 250 million years ago. This masseter is a new muscle that split off from the temporalis, and we can see this in embryonic development. With this new muscle, along with a higher anchor point for that original muscle, we see something different. The direction of forces when biting are able to now cancel out. 
meaning that there is no more stress on that jaw joint. Now those two bones, the articular and the quadrate, don't have to be so big anymore. They could get smaller, which we see in the fossil record, which proved to be beneficial because those smaller bones transmitted sound better. Because they were still the hinge point of the jaw, they couldn't move anywhere though. That is until a new jaw joint developed. At this point in the fossil record, we see evidence of the eardrum, the tympanum. Now the path of sound goes through the tympanum, then the angular bone, then the articular, through the jaw joint to the quadrate bone, then to the stapes bone, and then into the inner ear. Now that the articular and the quadrate have gotten smaller, the rest of the bones move to make up that space. So in the lower jaw, the dentary got longer and longer, taking over the articular's abandoned territory. And in the skull, the squamosal bone likewise expanded to fill in the space of the quadrant bone. These two bones, the squamosal and the dentary, continued to expand over generations until they eventually met. These two bones then formed the new jaw joint so that the now tiny articular and quadrate could migrate up towards the stapes in the middle ear. The angular bone pretty much disappeared, though part of it has become the tympanic bone that encases the middle ear, protecting it. We now end up with a pathway of sound like this. Tympanum, malleus, incus, stapes, and inner ear. With the articular becoming the malleus and the quadrate becoming the incus. So how do we know that this change from jaw to ear occurred? Well, there are three pieces of evidence we'll focus on today. The first one is the fossil record. We can look in at the fossil record and look at the points of attachment for one of the jaw muscles, the temporalis. That point of attachment is the coronoid process, that hooky protrusion in your lower jaw right past your teeth but before the jaw joint. So, the sidable muscle attachment we can see is getting higher and higher over time in the fossil record, and this correlates with the change in the bite force. We can also see the decrease in size of the ancestral jaw joint bones and the expansion of the new ones. There are even fossils of mammalian ancestors having both set of jaw joints, like Dargthnathus. Another piece of evidence can be seen in embryonic development. Famous morphologist Reichert in 1837 dissected pig fetuses and saw that the malus and incus came from the same cartilage as the jaw joint in non-mammal vertebrates. The third piece of evidence comes to us from baby marsupials. While still in the pouch and still developing, the babies latch onto their mother's nipple and nurse. But instead of using the new jaw joint, like the rest of us mammals, they nurse using that ancestral jaw joint. This is because the new jaw joint is too premature. As they mature though, that ancestral jaw joint migrates up to become the inner ear, like the rest of us. Now what benefit is there to having three bones in the middle ear as opposed to just one? When comparing the hearing of mammals to other land vertebrates, we see mammals can hear higher frequencies better. For non-mammals, they hear fairly well at around 1 kilohertz frequency of sound, but lose out at higher frequencies. Higher frequencies mean higher pitched sounds. 
Compare this to humans whose day-to-day is between 4 and 8 kilohertz and who tops out at 20 kilohertz. It may also affect the ability to distinguish frequency. Birds are only able to do half or third as good at humans as distinguishing frequencies at ranges of 1 to 4 kilohertz. So what does this all mean? Our ancestors had a bite that put stress on their jaw. When that stress went away, the bones of that jaw hinge could get smaller. This was beneficial because they could carry sound better. As the bones at the jaw hinge got smaller and smaller, the other ones behind them expanded. Eventually, those expanding bones met and made a new jaw joint. The bones from the old jaw joint can now join the single bone in the middle ear and allow for better hearing. We know this because the fossil record shows this transition, including animals that have both jaw joints. Fetal development also backs up this idea, as does nursing baby marsupials. We can compare our hearing with other animals and compare contrast or anatomy, which seems to show that in regards to hearing, the move from jaw to ear was a good one for mammals. If you are interested in examining this further, I posted links to my sources on podcastwild.weebly.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-W-I-L-D dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. You can also find us on Facebook as Podcast Wild. Thanks for listening. Thanks for learning. We'll talk to you next time on Podcast Wild with another multi-parter on episode 8A, The Deep Blue, and you.